Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From Decrypt.co, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, Filecoin Space Race Testnet will hand out 4 million FIL in rewards. OMG, price skyrockets by 90% after Tether integration. And in our main story, we sit down with Chainlink's co-founder and CEO, Sergey Nazarov, to talk Chainlink. All coming up on the Decrypt Daily. Yo, what's up, everybody? Today is Friday, August 21st, 2020, and I want to get straight into it today because today we have on Sergey Nazarov, CEO and co-founder of Chainlink, coming on the show to talk Chainlink. So I don't want to waste any time. We have about a 30-minute conversation with him, plus some other news at the end. So let's get into crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. I'm recording this at 11.15 Eastern Standard Time. We have another day in the red. Not big red, but we're still in the red. Usually what happens when we have a nice big pump, we have a little bit of step back. It's like two step forwards, one step back, two step forwards, one step back, and so on and so forth until we hit all time highs. And then we just start having two steps back and one step forward, two steps back and one step forward. So I think that this is this one step back before we hit that two steps forward again. Bitcoin is sitting at $11,755.95, down 0.9% from yesterday. Ethereum, 405.20, down 2.3% from yesterday. Litecoin, $61, down 2.6% from yesterday. Chainlink, 1414, down 12.45% from yesterday. And XRP, 28.7 cents, down 1.3% from yesterday. Total market cap for all cryptocurrencies, $367.3 billion. Bitcoin dominant, 59.1%. The talk of the town, the talk of the town, Chainlink. Billions of dollars have rushed into Chainlink over the past months. I remember it being down under a dollar. Then it was pushing $20. Today, 1414, as I just said, what is Chainlink? It wasn't on my radar. I've seen people tweeting about it. I've seen people talking about it, but I never actually took a dive into what is going on with that company. What does it do? Well, there's only one way to do that. That's to get on the CEO and the co-founder of the company. Let's dive into Chainlink. Sergey, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me, Matt. Glad to be here. Man, you are and your project is one of the hottest topics in the crypto space right now. I just want to cut straight into it. Tell me, what is Chainlink? So Chainlink is a decentralized uh, Oracle network, or you could call it a blockchain abstraction layer, depending on on your use case. So what it it does is it it validates whether data is accurate. And the reason, the reason that it's quite important that data is accurate or that something actually happened and it's validated to be true is because you're now seeking to use data to trigger billions of dollars in these irreversible, highly reliable smart contracts. The reason I think that people are interested in, in Chainlink is because it's solving something or it solves something called the Oracle problem, where you need 
a way to validate data into a system for that system to be able to rely on that validated data to an extreme degree. And this extreme degree of reliance on technologically enforced outcomes is really what smart contracts are about. So smart contracts are about, I can put a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars into a system somewhere, and I can be guaranteed that I own that hundred billion dollars. It won't be lost. It won't be manipulated. You know, these types of things. So the, the nuance here is, is that in order to build smart contracts about certain topics, such as financial products, insurance products, global trade products, even in many cases, gaming products, you need data. So you, you need the contract to know that a market event happened or goods were delivered or an insurable event like a weather change or lack of something in, in, in the weather like rain has or hasn't happened. And the, the smart contract is effectively driven by that information. And so that information has to be extremely reliable, just like the smart contract itself is useful only as far as it is extremely reliable. And that's really what, what Chainlink does is it allows smart contracts to expand what they can be uh, written about. One you know, one one interesting and, and, and succinct way to, to, to think about it is that what blockchains do and what oracles do is similar in that they both create definitive truth. So the Bitcoin blockchain creates definitive truth about Bitcoin ownership and who owns what Bitcoin. And th there is no greater source of definitive truth about asset ownership than Bitcoin because any other form of asset ownership could be manipulated. And so you, you, you have a definitive truth that if you own a Bitcoin, you own that Bitcoin because there's a Bitcoin blockchain securing that definitive truth. Then you have systems like Ethereum that expand what you can create definitive truth around. You can write smart contract state, generate other tokens other than Bitcoin, generate voting schemes. And now you can have definitive truth around tokens and voting schemes, which is very important for our industry because it allowed a lot of value to, to be placed into our industry through those tokens. But now you have definitive truth about a wide range of different assets, at least as far as they exist in terms of a token and who owns that token. What Chainlink does is it creates definitive truth about the external world. So it, it generates proof that an event has occurred to the high standards of definitive truth that blockchain require. And once you can generate definitive truth to a certain standard, then you can begin to automate around that definitive truth beyond just uh, the dynamics of ownership or voting. You, you can begin to generate all kinds of smart contracts that are about financial products, global trade products, insurance products. And I think the, the excitement that, that people have about around Chainlink is because in these various categories, you need validated data and definitive truth. And, and that's what we, what we provide. So Sergey, how does Chainlink achieve definitive proof about the external world? The way that we achieve definitive proof is fundamentally the same as the assumptions behind blockchains and smart contracts. So the assumptions there are that you have decentralized computation. You have a multitude of different independent nodes computing the same thing. And then you have certain degrees of cryptographic proof and cryptographic um, primitives that are that are put into play to also guarantee you that if a certain number of people computed something a certain way, it is indeed a solid source of definitive truth about something like a Bitcoin ownership distribution or other types of tokens or, or certain smart contract state that's written on more, more advanced smart contract systems. The way that we achieve this is, is once again, we have multiple independent nodes confirming data from multiple different data sources. So for example, today we had a really exciting thing where we had the, the release of a decentralized insurance product that gets weather data. And that weather data about rainfall is able to be checked on three very high quality data sources. 
And those three high quality data sources are completely independent of each other. So you have decentralization at the data source level. And then you have a multitude of different nodes checking that uh, that data. And you, you're essentially arriving at assumptions that if enough of the data sources out there and enough independent nodes have successfully checked that data, then you have definitive truth about the state of the world. Because it's it's similar to what you have in, in, in more advanced kind of mission critical systems like space shuttles. So if you look at space shuttles, they also have many redundant sensors. So they have many redundant sensors to pick up the same thing to make sure that if one sensor fails, you still have you, you still have definitive truth about what's going on with uh, with any number of indicators about about how the space launch is going and how the shuttle is flying and how everything is, else is happening. This is actually a common pattern in computer science and systems design where you create extreme redundancy to verify, which is fundamentally what what blockchains and decentralized computing systems do to create their definitive truth. And Chainlink now applies this to a different problem called the Oracle problem in the definition of what's happening out in the real world. And we're able to create definition and 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 true and definitive truth about what's happening out in the real world to to such a high uh, degree that people can now trigger large movements of value against that information. Because before you you had some kind of web-based uh, agreement but you had a lot of people involved and, and you had a lot of control by people of data and of how the, how the agreement evolves. And, th- and that's not really the, the point or the story or the future of smart contracts. It's, it's really about highly reliable, highly tamper-proof automation and being able to trigger that automation with data that's also, also highly reliable and ha- highly tamper-proof is a critical component of how, the, how our industry will evolve to more use cases. The reason that that we're basically chosen by by pretty much the vast majority or all DeFi projects that are live on production now and, and more and more of them as they as they look into us and do any kind of diligence end up choosing us is for for a few fundamental reasons. The the first one is that we started at a foundation of solving the Oracle problem. And I think sol- starting at that foundation is extremely important because we're not trying to take some kind of other system and repurpose it into a solution to the Oracle problem or into this creation of definitive truth. We are starting from the point of how do we assure data delivery, data validation from a multitude of sources with a lot of validation together with actually cryptographic uh, proofs of various kind. And these cryptographic proofs are another place where our work together with um, world-class leading security researchers like Ari Jules and, and many others has led us to to bind together decentralization and cryptographic proofs around the Oracle problem. Whereas what I see other uh, other approaches to Oracle's doing is is one of two paths that I think are fundamentally limiting in in, in even in their starting point. So you either see people take uh, a web service that they've generated and then they seek to create that to turn that web service into a slightly more decentralized web service that they then hope will meet the standards of data validation and reliability that an Oracle mechanism needs to meet. And they they expect that their initial web service that they created from their kind of web development services architecture-based system will evolve into a truly decentralized, tamper-proof, reliable Oracle mechanism. And, and it's it's foundationally very difficult to layer on security or, 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 or tack on kind of band-aid level security to a foundational assumption that doesn't really, really work. The second approach that, that people sometimes take to create a decentralized Oracle mechanism is an approach that's sometimes common to our space of let's, let's take a blockchain and try to turn it into something else, right? So we're going to take a blockchain, we're going to fork it, or we're going to take some method of general 
generating blocks and we're going to turn it into an oracle. And this is also a foundationally worrisome assumption because you don't actually need to generate blocks in order to create an oracle mechanism. And somehow there's this assumption that if, if I just fork a chain or I generate a chain and I turn it into something where people are generating blocks, I now have created an oracle mechanism. The, the important nuance, I think, is, is that if you're going to solve the oracle problem, you, you really should start at the right foundation of seeking to solve the reliability around data delivery, the clarity around how data validation is happening and that it's actually being guaranteed with incentives properly, and the application of various cryptographic techniques to make sure that the, that the data is delivered properly and, and given properly onto, onto your smart contract. So you just said you've been working on this for so many years. How did Chainlink become so widely used in DeFi? Yeah, so I, I, th I think what this really, really comes down to is that this is a problem that we've been thinking through and working on tangentially for, for something like, like seven, seven years, right? So we've been building smart contracts for seven years in many, many different categories of things, right? We've been building them in the banking center, sector and the insurance sector, in the public blockchain sector and in, in, in all of these different categories. And we consistently saw that oracles were a key requirement. And we, we ourselves at smartcontract.com initially had uh, a more centralized oracle and we, we worked with it and we saw how it worked and we decided not to, to turn that into a, a kind of band-aided, slightly expanded kind of thing, right? We just started, we made a key decision to look at the Oracle problem from a, a kind of eyes wide open, full depth of the problem point of view, and to foundationally begin to solve that problem, which didn't require the creation, the, the taking of a, of a web service and turning and slowly turning it of it into a decentralized system, which is extremely difficult to do, or the, the taking of a blockchain and turning that into an Oracle. It required a, a deeper understanding of what is the definitive truth that you're seeking to create using decentralized computation in this case. And uh, we were very lucky to work, uh, and we are very lucky to work with, with great people like Ari Jules, who was previously the chief scientist of RSA and, and has built many, many great things over the course of his career, um, including, including formalizing proof of work in the 90s and then creating proof of retrievability and many other great things. And so together with him, we kind of looked at how, how do you solve this problem at a foundational level? And it's, and it's that foundational thinking that I think is very important for the combination, the proper combination of decentralized computation, proper incentives for node operators and application of various cryptographic techniques in a defense and depth approach to properly secure the consensus around a single piece of data, such as weather or sports events, or in other cases now things like even like randomness through Chainlink VRF. I think that foundational, the decision to focus on a foundation of, of the key properties of, of an Oracle mechanism has now led us to be able to, to generate the largest amount of data ever placed on public blockchains. And that large amount of data that we've now placed on public blockchains to a large degree price data for DeFi has allowed many DeFi teams to build various markets. So what we actually see is two, is two dynamics. One dynamic is I have a DeFi product I want to launch. I have a team of three to five uh, engineers and I have a choice to build infrastructure and my product or, or just to build my product. The teams that choose to just focus on building a great financial product have a, a massive advantage that, that, that we're able to give them by providing the data that they need to rely on. So we had teams with us like Ave that launched something like 10 or 11 you know, months ago and uh, crossed a billion dollars, partly because they were able to focus uh, their energy and their resources on building a great financial product instead of trying to slowly learn the lessons we learned over many, many years of building oracles. And so we're, we're absolutely 
thrilled and, and actually very proud to have enabled a, a large and growing number of teams to launch at a much faster rate with really high quality products because they can focus on that just like they didn't have to build a blockchain. They don't. They now don't have to build an Oracle mechanism. The second dynamic that I think is quite important is you see new markets being generated by leading DeFi produ- products and projects like synthetics. We're able to help enable the generation of those new markets because as we add new data, they are able to create new markets around those products. So our, our goal now is actually to, to make sure that we can securely add more and more data into various uh, blockchain environments, but with a large focus on the DeFi-specific blockchain environments where people are seeking to build more and more markets, more and more financial products uh, around that data. And it's actually the appearance of that data, which will which will uh, be the starting point and the enabling factor for those markets to be built. We have a strong focus on, on enabling the growth of DeFi through the provision of more and more validated data, more and more definitive truth that can be combined with smart contract state to make those DeFi products. You, you mentioned something there right at the end that I would really want you to touch on briefly, if you could. You said building markets around the data. What are those key user groups or, if you will, markets that you're focusing on? So I, I think there's actually a, a more expansive uh, view of, of what Chainlink is about that, that that we can think about here. The thing that Chainlink really is, it's, is it's a general framework around how you create definitive truth about the real world and how you apply that definitive truth to various use cases in smart contract form and, and in some cases even in, in web form. So what, what you basically see is, is three key categories of users that need highly validated data to trigger their, their mission-critical, highly tamper-proof systems like smart contracts in DeFi. The, the, the first group is DeFi, and DeFi absolutely has to have highly reliable, highly tamper-proof data because DeFi in the public chain environment has extremely high standards for what it defines as tamper-proof and highly reliable. And that's kind of its unique property, right? It's DeFi, decentralized finance. So, so you, you need to have a decentralized, highly reliable Oracle mechanism feeding the data and essentially the triggers into such a system. So DeFi is a market where we cover well over 95% of public blockchain derivatives. We we cover a large degree of lending. We cover more and more of other categories in decentralized insurance and others where, where people need these highly reliable triggers. And the reason we're getting so much adoption there is because the architects and the developers in, in that ecosystem have very, very high standards uh, for, for what defines definitive truth as far as the external inputs that can uh, control or, or do anything with their contract. And that's a market that we're, that we're doing well and that I think will, will grow to actually be a large percentage of all tokenized assets. So what I see is that a large percentage of all crypto tokens will, will eventually flow into DeFi. So when you look at five or six or seven billion in DeFi today and you look at the 360 plus billion that could be in a DeFi um, environment, earning interest of some kind or being used for other other financial products, you can kind of see that we're at the beginning of that market's growth. The second category is more web-based fintech uh, CFI applications that focus on crypto users, but are committed to decentralization and to achieving more security, more transparency, more reliability through a greater decentralization of their infrastructure and their system. This is uh, re- really exemplified by teams like uh, Celsius and, 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 and great others that are seeking to achieve greater decentralization of their systems that are already partly decentralized because they pay out through blockchains. But it's, it's really about how do you provide highly reliable inputs into a existing infrastructure that isn't fully smart contract based? And, and how do you create a transparency around the inputs into that system so that this transparency 
combined with the transparency of the payouts on a blockchain, create a lot of auditability and a lot of proof that the thing that the organization is doing in the middle around around the proper operation of its financial product is highly tamper-proof. And it's really this this extreme reliability that we uh, we were able to provide to the web world. DeFi is heating up around the globe. And it is very interesting to see a new way of finance, a new way of looking at, well, money, investment, and your interaction with it. What do you think Chainlink will look like in the global future. I think to, to fully to fully see that we need to we need to consider how how things will will evolve in kind of the market and and the smart contract ecosystem themselves. I think there's a slow and steady path where DeFi grows because it provides better returns, better security, better transparency than many other systems, and it slowly grows and it grows in proportion to the amount of crypto token holders that can put value into it. And if the amount of crypto token holders massively increases, then the amount of value that can go into DeFi also massively increases. And that can happen in a steady state, right? So that can steadily occur, and it is steadily occurring, and it will continue to steadily occur. In, in that scenario, I think Chainlink continues to provide the largest collection of validated data to DeFi, to insurance products, to more advanced products like global trade as, as they begin to, to be turned into smart contracts, possibly to, to take some of those in, in invoices and turn them into collateralized assets and any number of other, other, other ways that DeFi is going gonna, is gonna to benefit from more advanced smart contracts that can bring more collateral into that ecosystem. So you have kind of that slow and steady DeFi has, has, a, has a fundamental value around the returns it generates, the transparency it provides, and the security guarantees. So that there's that slow and steady future that, that we're gonna, we are now very focused on continuing to enable by, by providing more and more data, both to the DeFi products themselves and to the various more advanced smart contracts, uh, which eventually generate all kinds of interesting collateral that is then put into DeFi to, to drive it even further. And there are these two trends of let's generate the DeFi products and then let's turn things into smart contracts so they can become collateral for DeFi products. And both of those trends, I think, are heavily driven by Chainlink and the ability for smart contracts to know about collateral and therefore prove its quality in order to have it as collateral for DeFi, or more fundamentally, here's some price data so that you can build a financial product at all because without the price data, you couldn't launch that market. Because once again, smart contracts, they can't access external data. They need an Oracle mechanism to do that. That's that's one scenario. Um, there's another scenario, which is uh, a bit more worrying for the global economy, but could have a positive effect uh, on the adoption of blockchains and decentralized computing systems. And I think it's, it's a scenario that many people have been predicting for years and is unfortunately now starting to, to slowly unfold and, and can begin to rapidly unfold at, at a at, at any point, which is completely unpredictable to, to anybody. This kind of world-changing event will be the, a strong downward trend in the global financial system, mainly around uh, things like solvency and uh, and various other dynamics that will come into question at a fundamental um, corporate solvency, sovereign debt, various, various kinds of levels, right? Where people are going to start to seriously question the brand promises behind the assets they hold. And, and people are going to, I think, start to see more and more if if such an event occur, if if there's a, if there's a global restructuring of financial markets because of certain failures in those financial markets, I think what you'll see is that people wake up 
to the actual promises and the guarantees they have from various institutions. And those guarantees and promises are much weaker than people think because the contracts and the guarantees about ownership or, or value preservation or, or, or any, any amount of other guarantees that, that they have with, with asset, a- assets or, or interest-bearing dynamics in the, in the larger global financial s- ecosystem are, are more fragile than, than they appear on their face. If that fragility becomes exposed, then the brand promises of those institutions come into question. If the brand promises of various institutions, uh, stores of value, methods of generating interest in the traditional financial ecosystem come into question, right? Because something that people think couldn't fail or couldn't not work begins to fail or not work. People will then look for other guarantees. They will look for uh, what I call math-based guarantees or crypto- cryptographically guaranteed contracts or what we call smart contracts. They will, they will look for guarantees that their ownership is in fact always accessible and available to them, that nobody can, can limit their access to their funds through an ATM lockup of only 66 euros per day like you, we saw in Greece a few years ago and like we see in a few un- unfortunate places now. And also that their returns are guaranteed and that the solvency of the entity providing their returns is guaranteed and that essentially their counterparty risk is properly managed in a transparent, secure manner. If people begin to, to realize the fragility of those guarantees in the global financial system, they start to see what we've all seen in the blockchain world around the, how those guarantees look within the smart contract context. I, I think you'll see uh, a massive influx of usership for smart contract-based financial products because brand-based guarantees will will suddenly become inadequate. Because if if brand-based guarantees are failing left and right, a a better brand-based guarantee, a better trust me, it'll be fine. My brand's been a 100-year-old brand for however long and however well it's operated. If you you have 50-year-old brands failing to deliver on their institution's promises of ownership or return for whatever reasons that come out of a global kind of financial crisis, people stop believing in brand-based guarantees. And, and where, what, what is their alternative? Well, their only real alternative is math-based guarantees of contracts. If an influx like that occurs into math-based guarantees, um, guaranteed contracts, of which smart contracts are the strongest form available, then I think there could be uh, a really large reindexing and reshifting of value from the global financial system into the blockchain-based, smart contract-powered, math-based, guaranteed form of financial products. And, and so in, in that world, what you see Chainlink doing is you see it uh, enabling that shift both through that abstraction layer for the enterprises that want to create their decentralized financial products, as well as the delivery of validated data for those decentralized financial products that are going to be generated by the DeFi teams and products that you know have probably become the new internet sensations of their time because they they foresaw this influx and they positioned themselves correctly, uh, as well as the the CFI and fintechs that were able to follow on quickly enough and get their infrastructure in a place where they can provide math-based guarantees to their their contracts and their relationship with their users. And then finally, the, the final massive wave of enterprises that finally realize, you know, I really need to be on the internet. I, I really need to participate in this, in this transfer of value from one format of doing commerce to another format of doing commerce. Uh, the analogy is I, I need to be on the internet now because that's where business is conducted. And uh, that final influx of enterprise value into smart contracts is something that Chainlink would, would then facilitate and accelerate massively because we would be the abstraction layer that allows all the enterprises to interact with the different blockchains that they want to interact with without having to learn 
50 different blockchains and have 50 different teams that can all allow them to interact with not only the 50 chains they want to build on today, but the 50 new variants that might be the, the, the places where they want to conduct commerce tomorrow. You know, what you said, you think people realize the fragility of the global financial system. I think that they absolutely do realize the fragility of the global financial system. Uh, they just need solutions. And it's very good to see that solutions are being built in the crypto space around blockchain and oracles and smart contracts. I think that this is going to provide a much healthier financial system for the future. Sergey, I want to say thank you very much for your time. I thank you very much for answering all my questions. I hope you and your company the best for the future. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you for having me. And in other news, Filecoin's testnet entitled Space Race is set to go live next week, and it's about to hand out a lot of FIL tokens to incentivize people to get on the testnet. The protocol will reward over 4 million FIL to testers based on their inputs. The testnet comes three years after Filecoin's $200 million ICO. Filecoin has already seen more than Filecoin has already seen more than 240 miners from around the world start preparing to participate in the testnet, with upload speeds reaching over one tebibyte per second. And I had to look this up, so I asked the editors, a tebibyte is two to the 40th bytes. A terabyte is 10 to the power of 12. So, now we know. And finally, OMG. Price skyrockets 90%, basically overnight. Tether stablecoin transfers to the OMG network, and it's now live. We're talking about Tether on OMG. We're talking about Moon for OMG. I don't really know if it's Moon or not. All I know is that OMG was around 50 cents mid-March. It struggled to break past a dollar, and now it's sitting there around $7 today. I might have to give you daily update prices on that because who knows when that's going to stop. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. Don't forget, you can send me an email at MatthewAaron at Decrypt.co. Talk to me. Reach out to me. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you think of the show. And if you like the show, subscribe, like, leave me five stars, and a nice comment, and share with your friends. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday. 